we all know that our Guru Paramahansa Yogananda was a great bhakt of Divine Mother, especially in the form of Kali. And he would go off into the Dakhineshwar temple. We'll hear uh, a lot more stories, not today, as, as of course, but in the coming pages of that relationship. So for those of us, especially on this path, this time is an important time for us to tune into also through Yoganandaji, that Divine Mother aspect and see what relationship he shared with her. In the meantime, however, we return to our task at hand. We're still being shaped by our Guru or our Param Guru in this particular case. And where we left off today, there's a very, very, very good chance we, we finished <laughs> chapter 12. Um, so let's see how we do. Where we ended in our previous class was this learned pundit comes to Sri Yukteswarji's ashram and, you know, wants to show off his skills, his intelligence, his knowledge, his wisdom. And he begins to quote from the scriptures and Sri Yukteswarji is <laughs> completely unmoved, unimpressed. And of course, the famous words, I'm waiting to hear you. You know, quotations and scriptures have been uh, in superabundance, as he called it. I want to hear what experience you've gained through these teachings, through these words, through the vibrations of these holy books. And that's where we left it. This need to go beyond bookish knowledge, to go beyond intellectual satisfaction that comes from listening to these wonderful concepts and these really beautiful interconnected, interwoven realities of karma, reincarnation, our lives with others. And sometimes we can just kind of settle down into that and think, ah, you know, just knowing this makes me feel so good that I don't need to do anything about it. I don't actually have to break through this interconnected web beyond into freedom. Just somehow knowing about it frees me from everything that I need. And uh, this is what Yoganandaji and Sri Yukteswar here are trying to help us understand is that we all must go beyond this bookish knowledge, just mere philosophy. So we are on chapter 12, if you just join, page 131. And where we left it were these beautiful words of Sri Yukteswarji's, Do not confuse understanding with a larger vocabulary. Sacred writings are beneficial in stimulating desire for inward realization, if one stanza at a time is slowly assimilated. Continual intellectual study results in vanity and the false satisfaction of an undigested knowledge. And of course, when we were saying this, we ourselves were looking to each other and saying, oh, oh we've been, you know, going into these books at least in our defense, we're trying our best to go slowly and really try to assimilate. But um, in your own time, even after you've you know, heard some of these classes, it'll be very beneficial for you to go back to the sections that perhaps we covered. And, and again, gain your own understanding as well. What we're sharing here is Narayani and my imperfect <laughs> understanding. As much as we've been able to gauge 
through you know our time through a little bit of introspection through a little bit of practice but there's so much more that still is hidden from each of our sights Sri Yukteswar related one of his own experiences in spiritual edification the scene was a forest hermitage in eastern bengal where he observed the procedure of a renowned teacher dabru balav his method at once simple and difficult was common in ancient india so we're going to hear about this other teacher how he would share the scriptures with his disciples and students dabru balav had gathered his disciples around him in the sylvian solitudes the holy bhagavad gita was open before them steadfastly they looked at one passage for half an hour then closed their eyes another half hour slipped away the master gave a brief comment motionless they meditated again for an hour finally the guru spoke have you understood yes sir one in the group ventured this assertion no not fully seek the spiritual vitality that has given these words the power to rejuvenate india century after century another hour disappeared in silence the master dismissed the students and turned to shri yukteswar before we see what shri yukteswar's response is let's just recapitulate what just happened here this guru this teacher this great man of the scriptures the way he was sharing this knowledge with his students was they'll read one passage one verse but not just to read for half an hour kind of just constantly look at the passage perhaps be reading it over and over again trying to gauge first visually intellectually through the words what the passage might truly mean and what power it may contain then they would meditate for half an hour half an hour of observing half an hour of meditation then the guru would speak and give a brief comment just a a hint to help guide this process further then an hour of meditation then again the guru would say all right everybody understood and if somebody were were kind of strong enough and fearless enough to say yes i think we've understood again he'd say no i don't think so and would go back into another hour of silence so for every verse of the gita two and a half hours of meditation and half an hour of focusing outwardly on that verse now I don't think or I don't know if that needs to be necessarily our process as well it would be wonderful if it could be but it just helps us understand what it truly takes to uh to go deeper into any scripture including this book that we're reading right now the autobiography and so this master turns to Sri Yukteswar ji and says do you know the Bhagavad Gita no sir not really though my eyes and mind have run through its pages many times 
Now, none of us have run through the Gita many times. If we've read even a quarter of it, we tend to think, yeah, I've read the Gita and, you know, I understand it completely. And Sri Yukteswarji, in all his humility, I have read it, I have tried to assimilate it many times, yet I cannot claim to have fully understood it. Thousands have replied to me differently. The great sage smiled at Master in blessing. If one busies himself with an outer display of scriptural wealth, what time is left for silent inward diving after the priceless pearls? Sri Yukteswar directed the study of his own disciples by the same intensive method of one-pointedness. Wisdom is not assimilated with the eyes, but with the atoms, he said. When your conviction of a truth is not merely in your brain, but in your being, you may diffidently vouch for its meaning. Now that's another aspect of the spiritual path of these teachings that we each have to pay closer attention to, whether it's our techniques, whether it's certain concepts, whether it's any of the quotes of the masters, any of his sayings of the great saints, we should take it and kind of go deep with it year after year, never saying, oh yeah, yeah I understand what uh, Yogananda Ji meant with that words, what Swami Kriyananda meant with that particular thing. Swamiji would often tell us that when he would be in Yogananda's presence, he would look not merely to the words, but he would be watching Yogananda's every little movement, a certain glance of the eye. He says even if he would raise an eyebrow or not, whose direction he was talking towards. And he says all of that helped him understand behind his words. He says he could be talking about the most mundane, most practical, most day-to-day -day reality of, you know, the gardening that needs to be done or some painting that has to happen of a certain building. Yet behind that too, Swamiji said, he found that there was true spiritual instruction being passed. And most of us were just missing that. And it doesn't even necessarily only need to come to us through these great masters, it's constantly coming to us from God himself, through our daily lives, through our daily interactions. Of course, it doesn't mean that we'll take one word everybody says and then sit down and try to kind of wonder if there are 20 different meanings to it. But to recognize that all of us live far too superficially to really understand life itself. And as Sri Yukteswarji says here, when the conviction of truth doesn't come merely from our brain, which it tends to come in most cases, but it's in our being. As he says here, wisdom is not assimilated with the eyes, but with the atoms. And then another great master, I don't remember who it was, who once said, um, I believe it's our guru <laughs> too, he said, you must become the atom to know what the atom is. And so for each of us, that should be our, our deep desire. I want to become these things. I want to experience them for myself. And a lot of people wonder why these experiences don't come to us. Because they won't just come just now that we've read something that's so beautiful. It's like, I want to experience God the way Yogananda experienced. We're not even able to experience simple things fully. We're not even able to experience, you know, simple interactions we we'll not even be able to experience just the simplicity of doing our daily 
uh, chores because we're just in our minds so much that we're unable to give ourselves our beings to everything that we do. So this is not really advice just for the Gita or the Bible or these great books. This is the advice for everything that we do because everything is an expression of God or can be an expression of God if we see it that way, if we assimilate it that way. And then the Guru starts to speak through, to us through everything and not merely then we don't need the books because as another great master said that this my disciples are my books and we become the Guru's teachings and that should be our uh, really the only intention behind seeking a spiritual path and walking a spiritual path. I think understanding also comes true understanding or true knowledge over a period of time is very gradual and it goes through layers of understanding. First, you read something or you understand something and strap you to a certain level. But then once that mm, concept, that truth has touched you at a certain level, that it gets you know, going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until that inner realization become part of who you are. That may take sometimes lifetimes mm -hmm. and perhaps, you know, in one lifetime you can understand one truth in depth. What I have noticed, especially since Swami Kriyana in the past away, that the things I thought I understood then, and I did, I mean, until certain extent, I definitely did, I understood what he meant. But it's only after time is passing or, you know, is when, when I'm really understanding what he meant. And sometimes it takes years. I don't know if you have noticed how many times so many of us have read this very same book of the biography of a yogi but every time we read it a new understanding comes a new layer of you know wisdom seems to open up in front of us and the secret is our receptivity the more receptive and open we are to really learn these teachings the easier it will get. I mean, just very recently, just something struck me <laughs> that Swamiji said, not to me, but to somebody else, like at least eight years ago, and just a few days ago, I really understood what he meant, not just for that person he was sharing that advice, but also how could impact my life if I didn't apply in the way he was trying to convey to him and I'm talking about something that he shared eight years ago and it is only now that I am spiritually ready to understand that teaching or that specific word so um, it's going to take time for all of us to assimilate those truths at, a, at that atom 
level but believe me if you are sincere if you really want to change yourself um, these realizations will be given to you and the more we meditate the more receptive and aware we become of what the guru is really teaching us because sometimes we want to learn certain things but um, the guru says not yet you are not ready there is something else <laughs> way more basic that you are missing and mm. you need to learn first that's a very good word basic mm -hmm. and in fact for most of us it's important to keep revisiting the basics and not to hanker after greater knowledge more books uh, more things you know we've been given all of us on whatever path we walk we've been given some very simple aspects do this do this do this and in our efforts to avoid to do this we somehow think if we do other things kind of because this doesn't seem glamorous enough or you know important fast enough or important enough <laughs> or it's too much work or i actually have to do this as opposed to just read this so we kind of go around and this is just our uh, you know this is a lifetime tendency not just in our search for god in our search for everything even for if you have to be successful outwardly, it's like, just do these things to be successful, but we'll do everything else. We'll try every other shortcut. We'll hope for every other means, uh, you know, except the ones that we know we must do. All of us I, at this point are fairly aware of what it is that we need to do, but we try our best to avoid it. So let's kind of see if we can set that tendency aside or at least work towards overcoming that a little bit more consciously. He discouraged any tendency a student might have to construe book knowledge as a necessary step to spiritual realization. And this one's like now really hammering it. Anybody who even thought book knowledge was a necess necessary step Sri Yukteswarji would try to discourage that, that very thought, that very concept. Uh, Yoganandaji tells us of his own time during, I believe, I don't know if we've already read it or it'll come, of how Sri Yukteswarji didn't allow Master to read any scriptures, in fact. He started him off with, I, be, I think, Patanjali and just a few verses of the first four or five verses of Patanjali. And he says, all right, that's it. Now close it. Now I don't want you to ever read any other book, any other commentary. And now I want you to actually assimilate even from just these few verses that we, I have shared. And this should be plenty for you. And Master went on to write commentaries on so many different books. Patanjali, the Bible, Omar Khayyam, of course, the Gita. None of which, in truth, he actually read the way we would kind of imagine would be probably important. So that I know what I'm going to talk about. But there it is, because that's not where wisdom comes from. It just doesn't come from here. In fact, from the 150 books that Swami Kriyananda has written, all of them uh, based on Yogananda's teachings or what Master taught him. He said that every book he has written is just seminal, like planting a little seed. And from each book, we could create 
ministries, you know, departments about education, about arts, about marriage, uh, marriage business, because each book contains um, a lifetime teaching. And that means that there is so much more still to explore and to understand. And from each book, we can really make a living example of these teachings. So, so just to reinforce that point that there is so much <laughs> that still needs to be learned. And the gurus, the masters, give information you know in very little doses even <laughs> here one line we think like wow i have the whole spiritual path in two lines i mean this is just the beginning we are exploring only the territory then we need to build in that soil the rishis wrote in one sentence profundities that com commentating scholars busy themselves over for generations. Endless literary controversy is for sluggard minds. What more liberating thought than God is? Nay, God. So Sri Yukteswarji, again, just kind of making sure we, we understand our Guru here is trying to is reminding us through his own experience with Sri Yukteswar just how important it is for us to not get caught up in this endless literary controversy which is you know this constant discussion back and forth have you read this have you seen this and today it's it's you know it's you've got so many books just on every subject everybody writing it uh, some you know someone's channeling something this medium this one astral entity has said this of course you know there are all so many saints there are all the ancient scriptures constantly being renewed by people trying to um, define and express them in new kind of more relatable terms of let me put you know the Gita in a business setting and let me do this the Mahabharata in a war military you know strategy setting and we're just trying which is beautiful to bring out so many of these aspects into different ways that people might be able to relate to. Yet at the end of the day, this is what Sri Yukteswarji is saying, there's really no point to any of it because what is more liberating a thought than just the fact that God is? And then he says, nay, which is not even. All we really need to know is God. And if we can just grasp our mind and hook on to that one thought, God, which means in absolutely everything, which means every word I'm reading here, I should just be sitting here and just going, God, 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 you know, every word's just trying for us to grasp one tiny little facet of God. And we can either go through the sluggard, which is this really slow, long, you know, like a snake, like a slug or a snail, just slow process towards God or we get directly to that point and sometimes in reading or not necessarily in reading in confusing our spiritual kind of progress as based on what we have read which tends to happen quite often um, we forget that the end result the goal that we're seeking is God we're not seeking knowledge we're actually not even seeking wisdom 
we're just trying to seek God. We're trying to unite ourselves with God. And only and only if these readings are helping us truly move in that direction, there's some merit to it. But if it's not, just like we just read about the, this gentleman, Dabru Ballav, half an hour on a verse and then two and a half hours of actual meditative experience. So if we use that as our, um, you can say, uh, measuring tool for every, even our guru said, read an hour, think, think to or write for two hours, Think, think for three hours and meditate, meditate all, the, all time. the time. So all that to say is that we have to redefine our priorities and how much time we give to certain of these things. The expression of what, you're, what we are reading in here in our daily lives is really what counts, is really what matters. And then in our meditations to take that even deeper until in fact, they do become an atomic reality. They do become lodged in the intelligence of every cell in our body. Because you see the cells, they're constantly changing. They're constantly dying off. They say every seven years, every cell in our body is completely renewed. We're in fact no longer, you know, even on a physical level, the person that we were. But these cells, when they contain this wisdom, they keep passing it on. But if we don't get this wisdom and if it only stays in our brain, we've not assimilated this wisdom, the cells won't pass it on. And so we're really not making any progress. That's a very, very important point for all of us to both reconsider daily. But man does not easily return to simplicity. And that's the, that's the truth here, isn't it? It is seldom God for him, but rather learned pomposities. His ego is pleased that he can grasp such erudition. And that's just at the end of it. That's the sad truth. Often this, all this reading, all this knowledge is really just to please the ego. And because, it, I mean, I don't think God cares one bit about our ability to quote uh, the Bhagavad Gita. You know, or to remember some beautiful words from some saint who has lived many years ago. It just does not care. But who does care is our own egos. We like to show how much we have learned, how much we've retained our ability to at will draw forth just the right words at just the right time. And, um, you know, the spiritual path is tricky. It's often, there are lots of traps laid throughout the journey. I would say use your readings to attune yourself with the Guru's vibrations more than just absorbing knowledge. I mean, it can really be a spiritual practice, a technique in itself. I'm just reading because I want to absorb the consciousness from where these words are coming from. And if we open a book with that understanding, and that openness, like I'm not just going to absorb information intellectually, but I'm here to just have a constant conversation with my Guru's consciousness. 
and with his sense of humor and his witty and his you know attunement with his own guru so book knowledge and book the use of a book can be directed towards that specific purpose i'm just absorbing information at vibrational level and not just to study merely to know concepts so use uh, books of the saints and your guru's words to again vibrationally communicate get to know him better and and bring that simplicity also in your approach to study because it just it shouldn't be something that you know it creates any pressure any strain it should be something that's such a joy to do this like in that joy simplicity and relaxation truly is when we really can learn and absorb much better that's a beautiful thought mm. thank you and here yogananda ends uh, the particular sharing related to bookish knowledge and moves on now to another subject there's this little section where there is about a story between an interaction between a very uh, you know strong judge of the high court and sri yukteswar ji but not particularly necessary for us to go over bringing one last kind of aspect of sri yukteswar ji before the chapter ends yogananda writes here my guru personally attended to the details connected with the management of his property which page no, right here okay 133 unscrupulous persons on various occasions attempted to secure possession of master's ancestral land with determination and even by instigating lawsuits shri yukteswar outwitted every opponent he underwent these painful experiences from a desire never to be a begging guru or a burden on his disciples now we know shri yukteswar ji came from a fairly uh, well off family they owned a lot of land a lot of properties if you've been to shri yukteswar ji's ashram both in puri and in serampore you know that both of them were his his ancestral homes that he converted into um these hermitages and ashrams and here of course we come back to shri yukteswar's very practical uh understanding and expression of the spiritual path on one hand we can talk about the need for complete renunciation and say okay you know if god's just going to take it all away let him just take it all away i'm unattached to any of these things on the other hand there is also this need to be able to stand up and have the willingness and the courage to stand and fight for principles and our lives are going to have both of these aspects because you'll see often in even shri yukteswar's case yogananda's case this complete willingness to let go but then sometimes you'll see there this complete they'll just stand their ground and nothing and no one can move them from the course of action that they have planned and that requires them to completely work with the world as it is in terms of going to 
courts, you know, kind of spending excruciating hours watching the slow wheels of justice turn. Even though if they wanted, they could probably snap their fingers. Pay in the income tax. <laughs> yeah, you know, going to income tax departments. And I mean, Yogananda ji faced so much of this in the United States himself, trying to figure out how is he going to build a space because especially in the West, and this was the example he learned from Sri Yukteswar. Normally, the Guru's role is to give and provide the spiritual wealth and it's the disciple's role to then take and receive the spiritual wealth and offer in return material wealth to allow for the Guru's work to grow and prosper. This is a very, you know, ancient tradition. The Guru's role was not to have to deal in any way with matter-related, you know, truths and realities. In this case, however, especially because as Sri Yukteswarji shares with us, we're now in a new age, an age of energy. Things have changed. It changed A lot of what we have received in terms of ancient scripture has come to us through the prism of Kali Yuga, through that darkened age where in fact it was very, very important for this process to play out, where money was something to kind of completely avoid. But now it is something to be used, but used wisely. And here Sri Yukteswarji says and explains is that he never wanted to be a burden on his disciples. And therefore through his own will, through his own creativity, through his own practicality and frugality, he worked with money in a way that it ensured he would always be able to provide a space for his disciples and never because of the lack of funds have to ever turn anywhere, anyone away. And that became his guiding principle. This is what I have to do. I have to provide a space for anybody who shows up at my doorstep and be able to support their spiritual process, which naturally includes to be able to support a lot of their practical sustenance as well. And this is what Yogananda had to do when he went to America. And so the example that his guru gave him, that he, what he received from his guru, even through just this simple thing of his guru being able to hold a space of his own, not depending only, of course, donations form a major part, even in Sri Yukteswar's life, I'm sure, but not depending solely on that, but being able to have something of his own. And that's what Yogananda, when he went to America, he, said, he often would joke, he said, if I were in India, I would just be sitting around and he was telling his disciples, all of you would be, you know, kind of finding ways to make this work. But here in America, I have to provide for you as well. And he had to go out and he had to earn money. Of course, he earned by the lectures and traveling and awakening so much interest across uh, the entire country. But then he was able to hold and sustain all those sincere souls who came to him. And even his legacy has been also making sure that all of us now can enjoy the properties that he had going to Ranchi and have, you know, going a pilgrimage and going to all the properties he has, you know, in the U.S., in Los Angeles. I mean, he made sure that his work was fully established. So once he was gone, none of his disciples had to go through the excruciating pain. 
he had to go through. It was like a like a father <laughs> wanting to make sure that his company, you know, remains afloat. So his children really can carry on without any debt, any uh, headache and worries in their minds. And Swami Kriyananda did exactly the same with Ananda. All of us right now are really, in a sense, enjoying the fruits of his labors. I mean, everything to us has been given on a platter, you know, like everything is established, everything was uh, brought to a point where many of us didn't have to go through the troubles and legal cases that Swami Kriyananda had to go through. And it's our privilege. If we had to go through certain, you know, hardships, we should take it with that honor and you know joy and say you know let me add also my tapasya into this process because to build a worldwide mission it's just not an easy thing and as much as we can support even financially too why not i mean we we should so in 100 years from now our grandchildren will be able also to enjoy this divine mission that has really a purpose to change mankind. So it's, it's really remarkable how these great ones um, have put their soul, their hearts, their pockets <laughs> <laughs> into something that then it wasn't even for themselves. It was for you, for me, and for those who will come behind us. Really, Om. His financial independence was one reason why my alarmingly outspoken master was innocent of the cunnings of diplomacy. <laughs> Unlike those teachers who have to flatter their supporters, my guru was impervious to the influences, open or subtle, of others' wealth. Never did I hear him ask or even hint for money for any purpose. His hermitage training was given free and freely to all disciples. Which is another interesting aspect here mm. is when, you know, in certain cases, I mean, even here, our work in Mumbai, uh, we've been so fortunate in the support that we've received and in the free support that we've received in the sense of just unencumbered the giving that happens but in many cases you know money is such a binding you know it's almost like a now you owe me you know the, there's this thought that comes and in many organizations especially when the larger they get and the more you know kind of large amounts that they receive there's always this hidden thing where the people giving the money then have their own agendas and have their own ideas and little by little the spiritual directions of some of these organizations change. just begin to change and change and shift and again not because it's necessarily a bad thing but just the realities of the world are such the larger we get the harder it is for us to stay true in a sense to that original purpose you can see it with even large organizations and companies you know, we talked today about facebook and google and all the kind of mess that they're embroiled in and all the ways that they're trying to influence people's thoughts and the algorithms and so many of these things are now coming out 
but when they first started it started with a very simple and you know in a sense a pure intention to connect people on a platform where otherwise they would never get to know each other and that's such a beautiful way to build that community but today that very community is now being used for unfortunately nefarious purposes and it's also true for us and Swamiji often told us that that is why he wanted all of our centers and communities not to grow beyond a certain amount even master when he talked about communities and he said when we should go and establish our own community go out buy land grow your own food get like-minded people to come together pool their resources he in fact spoke about no more than 50 people in one community just because the when we are of that kind of a smaller ideal size the intimacy remains the connections remain otherwise it becomes too big where now people don't even know each other well enough even within the community and then the whole point is destroyed and lost in that process so for each of us to always think even in Mumbai if and as we grow we'll have to figure out even in our growth how to maintain the intimacy of smaller areas and therefore we constantly talking about having multiple places eventually around Mumbai so that the nucleus of each of these places is able to hold just a certain amount of people and that certain amount of people have that loving personal intimate relationship with each other and through each other with God and Guru and that's all that really matters and these ashrams of Sri Yukteswar had that same purpose behind it so that never are we in any position where um, money in a certain way has to dictate the directions we take. The work, yeah. Here, Sri Yukteswar is defined in a sense by, at the very end of this page, by uh, Paramahansa Yogananda as softer than a flower where kindness is concerned and stronger than the thunder where principles are at stake. Another wonderful kind of definition to mold our own lives ag against softer than a flower where kindness is concerned and stronger than the thunder where principles are at stake if you're ever confused over what course of action you should take remember these words if a principle at stake is at stake you're going to have to stand up for it but wherever there is no clear and strong principle and this is not just the principle of i need to tell this person you know <laughs> who they are and put them in their place or some such thing if it's a real principle which is impersonal, which has nothing to do with you, but has to do with a larger reality, then of course it's important to stand up for yourselves. This is a common question, when to push, when to let go. And this definition of the ideal Vedic man is a perfect way for us to see what course of action is most appropriate. Indeed, if you have to share that principle, I would suggest wait for 24 hours before you share that <laughs> principle just just to be safe and making sure you are bringing that um, kind of understanding or sharing with this other person from a very good place within yourself an outsider occasionally berated Sri Yukteswar for an imaginary grievance my imperturbable, imperturbable, well, imperturbable, that's the word, imperturbable guru listened politely 
analyzing himself to see if any shred of truth lay within the denunciation. These scenes would bring, would bring to my mind one of Master's inimitable observations. Some people try to be tall by cutting off the heads of others. Today, a lot of people are trying to be tall by doing that. Everywhere you look, everything I, you read in the, in the news today is pretty much this. People trying to cut other people's heads, hoping that that will make them look taller, more virtuous, more right in the eyes of man. Although each of us should try our best to be right in the eyes of God. And this is what Sri Yukteswar did. If anybody ever said something that any grievance of, or he criticized the Guru, the Guru never justified himself, he never shot back, he never had to kind of say, no, this is not true. He would just analyze in himself if there was a, in a, a shred of truth. And if there was, I'm sure he immediately, although in Sri Yukteswar's case, I doubt there ever would be. But Swamiji of his own example often said, if somebody, <laughs> what was his words, if somebody kind of criticizes you or calls you a fool, he said, huh? Oh, go ahead. He says, you know, analyze his words to see if there is any truth and don't be worried because if you are a fool, then that guy is, true, is right. And if you're not a fool, then what difference does it make anyway? And that's the intentions and ideas that we should keep if ever we find ourselves with people criticizing us, judging us or telling us that something in us needs to be changed. And in most possibility, they're probably right. But that doesn't mean that we need to react to that. If there's truth, we act on it ourselves. If there isn't truth, what difference does it make anyway? I think this is a very important sentence because what I think Sri Yuteswar is trying to say, don't use adharmic hmm. ways to defeat the enemy. No matter how ugly he is spiritually, how many weaknesses, how badly he's treating you, talking to you, perceiving you. Don't go to the lower path. You know, try really to respond from Dharma. And this is one of the main principles even uh, for Ananda, where there is Dharma there is victory and not just dharma in business by making the right choices by doing this that but even in your own relationships and behavior and i think this chapter is all about behaving appropriately in everything we do so for me here it's not just you know it, it's just like what are the vehicle that you are using to overcome that you know karma that you have even by mm, uh, using the tools i mean even I mean, choose the tools dharmically basically it's like just be dharmic in your responses to he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. This is from Proverbs in the Bible. And so beautiful lines, aren't they? He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit is greater than he who takes a city. And with those words, Yogananda finally says, 
I often reflected that my majestic master could easily have been an emperor or world-shaking warrior had his mind been centered on fame or worldly achievement. He had chosen instead to storm the inner citadels of wrath and egotism whose fall is the height of a man. With that, we finally close chapter 12. Thank God that Sri Uteshwar didn't choose to become, uh, <laughs> you know, all World these things. warrior. <laughs> and he became just like a master, like a simple, humble guru of Yogananda. Even in that, he chose such a, yeah. almost an obscure role. role yeah. You know, he himself could have been, in fact, the one to have gone to the West and done whatever was needed to be done. He would have done it with a lot more uh, power. Uh, but that was his thing. Choice. I'm going to be in yeah. Shirampur in this tiny little ashram. Very few disciples. Uh, who, who, most of whom can't even stand In my fact, training. I'm coming just for one. Just for one, which was Yogananda. And that's it. And So each of us who have any grandiose ideas and hopes for ourselves not that there's something wrong with that but just helps to remember Sri Yukteswarji's example in everything that we've read so far uh, his practicality his complete you know humbleness uh, the, his complete alignment with truth discipline going beyond bookish knowledge in whatever form you know we study in school and then we realize when we start a job that everything we studied, you know, just has no real even relationship to most of what we finally have to do in life. And his encouragement, you know, forget the past. You know, all the lives of all men have been, you know, darkened with shame. I mean, just forget about the past. Everything will improve if you are making the spiritual Effort. effort right now. I mean, those words are like so, bring so much hope and encouragement. And I really appreciated Sri Yuteshwar's way of putting emphasis in behave appropriately. I mean, so many people use spirituality to behave in the way they want whenever they want it and Sri Yuteshwar is just like almost constantly you know nagging that also to Yogananda like learn to behave I mean no matter how much you have learned spiritually if you don't know how to behave in the world with simple tasks you know in the kitchen by sweeping the floor at the ashram by helping every guest that comes to spend the night at the ashram if you don't know how to behave everything that i'm teaching you is useless so i really i'm very grateful that he you know remarked that aspect as an important one of our spiritual development our next chapter that we will begin the following week is going to be on the sleepless saint which is ram gopal masumdar we've had a wonderful wonderful time with our guru hasn't it been 